Kirana and welcome everyone to this special episode of Big Life Mindset. Today's episode is exactly what it says in the can. Suicide and silver linings. This has actually been a tough one to record. In fact, I had to have <clears throat> several goes trying to record this one with a mixture of ugly crying and procrastination being the main reasons it's taken me so long. That said, this episode speaks more to my heart than any I've done before, and I hope it brings some value, inspiration, or maybe even a little perspective for you. Before I proceed any further on on sharing this experience, though, I want to put it out there very loudly and very clearly, with no room for confusion, that if you or someone you know are battling anxiety, depression, stress, or have even considered the possibility of, of suicide, then please, please speak to someone. It could be a trusted friend, a counsellor, or even a complete stranger. What I've learned is that things can change really quickly for people going through these battles. And one key thing for you to know is that you're not alone. No matter how much it might feel like you're a burden, or even that you are alone, There are definitely people out there that care. Heck, we may have never even met before, but I can tell you that I would be saddened to hear if something happened to you. So please, reach out. You can even DM me. It's all good. And you'll find my details in the show notes. All right, let's go. It's a little over one year now that one of my absolute closest friends a man I long considered a brother, committed suicide. I'd actually tried to write this podcast several times, and I was often breaking off when I reached a level of sadness where I didn't want to, or I just simply couldn't, push through. There are times where I've cried so much, or I just give in to the tears and let the sobbing take over, and then I'm forced to stop. There were several points in this journey where you know, my heart just said, No more thanks. I've had enough pain for today. I can't begin to express how devastated I was that he took his life. And I think it was made all the more severe because I also pride myself on my resilience. And yet it ripped a hole right through me that I know will get smaller in time, and it has, but I also know that it will never fully heal. So the very idea of silver linings, or anything positive coming from this, may seem ridiculous to many listeners. However, they're there, and I'm comfortable sharing them. My friend, my brother, Fua Alva'a Neti'ili, who I called Fuji, and many of us called Fuji, was strong, proud, incredibly smart, confident, relatable, articulate, and charismatic. Since childhood, I kid you not, he could single-handedly have a whole room or party laughing alongside him with a personality, warmth, and laughter that could pierce concrete. I've never seen anything like it, and nor do I expect to again. With all of those attributes, anyone looking in from the outside would be asking, well then why did it happen? Why did he kill himself? The simple answer to this is that there isn't really a simple answer. But there's some key pieces that definitely contributed to it. In no particular order, he went through a tough breakup with his partner, 
whom my wife and I dearly love as well, he'd recently lost his job and he'd become increasingly disconnected to many of his closest friends as he isolated himself. Underpinning all of this and the trigger for most, if not all of those behaviours, it pains me to say, was a drug addiction. Now, it was this addiction that ultimately turned to this guy that was, as I say, confident, empathetic, and had some awareness of how much he meant to people, into a person that mistakenly thought he was a burden on everyone around him, that his life wasn't adding any value, and I think he also mistakenly believed that people no longer loved him. This path that he went down wasn't an an overnight one, though. In fact, there were warning bells coming through years in advance. Erratic behaviour, deception and broken logic started to slip into his life. At first you couldn't tell, but slowly and surely it became far more frequent. This guy was incredibly intelligent though, both street smart and book smart. And despite the path he was walking down, he could actually still put forward an argument on the merits of his drug use. You know, that experience was painful to say the least. A key aspect though was how distant and disconnected he was becoming. From being in touch every couple of days, it eventually moved out to weeks and then months before real meaningful contact was made. And each time you could see a decline in him, or worse, he masked it so well you genuinely thought he was on the road to recovery. This last stage continued for months. He masked his internal war on himself so well that everyone who knew him, myself included, fell into a false sense of security about what his mental state actually looked like. He could charm you into distraction and draw you into a conversation about something else of interest or even make you feel uneasy about bringing it up in the first place. I'd be lying though if I said that him committing suicide was completely off my radar. I didn't think he'd ever actually do it. But that said, when I'd seen him at his worst, the thought had crossed my mind on more than one occasion. This man who I loved deeply carried so much weight on his shoulders. Three days before he committed suicide, we agreed to meet at Homegrown, which is like an all-day concert, to enjoy some drinks, music, good times and each other's company. It had been a while since we'd caught up properly, so the thought of it, and us getting in a lot of our crew together, was something I was really looking forward to. It pains me to think on that day and night because it was such a good time. Shared moments, laughs, the energy we got just from being around each other. At the end of the night, he did what he normally does and he left basically without saying goodbye properly. He smoke bombed, but he did tell one of our other close mates. As soon as I realised he was leaving though, I ran over to him and he's about 100 metres away. Now here's a trippy thing. By this stage of the night, I was pretty drunk from a full day at the festival. After the festival, I also had some tequilas, which is usually a good way to rinse my memory. So I genuinely don't remember anything of our farewell. But I also don't need to. I know exactly what happened without needing any memory of the event, because we had, we had done it untold times before in our lives. We would have shared some laughs and said that we loved each other. We would have given each other big, warm hugs. The kind you give to someone who you might never see again, and so you want them to feel how much you love them, so they knew just how much they meant to you. 
And we had no fear of how other people might view us. Two men hugging each other and saying they loved each other from the bottom of our hearts. It's just how we were. I even managed to take some selfies of us with a lost property sign we'd stolen from the empty lost property tent, but that's another story. I was the last person to ever hug him and tell him that he was loved. Three days later, I receive a one-line text from a close mate that Fuji had done the unthinkable. When I saw that word unthinkable, I rolled through the possibilities in my mind. He's either killed himself, or he's killed his partner and himself, or heaven forbid, something's happened to the kids. When this is your starting point, your initial unfiltered gut reaction, then some piece of your mind must have already considered this as being a possibility. Unthinkable takes on a different meaning. I called back my mate that had texted me, and I went into a state of mild shock. You know, there's those scenes in drink driving ads or movies where you see a parent being informed that their child has died, and they take an age for the realisation to hit. And the look on their face is like someone has removed any logic from it, because it's illogical to them. Inside, the mental turmoil taking place is something they're simply unable to comprehend. That is exactly what it felt like. And then, in a crazy, surreal, illogical, messed up way, I was relieved to shortly find out that he'd only committed suicide. Like, what kind of situation are we living through where someone killing themselves is the lesser evil? This was one of those situations. And to say it pulled the rug out from under me would be a massive understatement. I burst into tears. I was completely confused right to my core. And I needed to know more. In fact, I needed to know for certain if what I was hearing was true. I began composing myself, thinking and possibly saying out loud that until I had actual confirmation, then the possibility remained I was being told something that was just inaccurate. I get into my car and I take several deep breaths before I drive to his family house. I had enough wits to know that driving under this level of emotion added a big layer of, a big layer of risk. And if what I had heard was true, then adding another death wasn't going to do anyone any favours. The drive's only seven or so minutes from my house, but it felt like an eternity. My brain kept fighting with the information it had received and not long before. How could this be? Surely this is a mistake. No, I kept telling myself. Keep my composure and find out exactly what has happened. Being emotional isn't going to help me fact find or process what I need to process. I arrived at his family home and I walk up to the door. One of his nieces answers and the look on her face was grave. I said, I need to know something. Is Fua alright? She motioned for me to come inside clearly not comfortable with having to say much in this kind of setting, you know, with me standing outside the family home, probably looking like I felt. I desperately needed her to say something that would assure me everything was alright, but she couldn't. Before I took a step, I asked her again. I need to know if everything's okay. She said no, and then guided me into the house. 
Still, some part of my brain was willing for this to not have happened, and there was still a small possibility there. There had to be, because she hadn't said the words that I needed to hear, and so the possibility remained in my mind. And then she told me that he'd been found hanging in the shed by another niece. Still my brain and logic refused to concede. What, you mean found hanging and he was saved? Was what I was hoping for. Still unwilling or unable to accept the finality until I heard the words that would remove all doubt. And then I pushed for it. The conclusion I was after. And I asked, is he dead? When she said yes, I felt some part of me break inside. But it was the certainty that I needed to hear. Once she said it, my insides fluctuated like a pendulum between feeling empty and feeling more emotions than I could contain. It was as if my body was pushing against itself. My skin felt like it had changed. And I cried, but not a lot. It was more like weeping as I came to accept what I actually already knew. I stayed for a few minutes, but I also wanted to be away from there and home with my family. I needed to be around love and warmth. I needed to be able to love those people and hold them close to me. The following days were surreal, dark, emotional, loving. The impact of his death was far more reaching than he could have possibly known, with those who knew him closely absolutely shattered at the loss of this man, and those who felt his personality were moved by it too. People did as they have throughout time. They rallied around each other, they looked to support, and they looked to be supported. I really felt for our friends living in Australia at the time. A group of our crew had been living throughout Oz and it was in the middle of COVID travel restrictions and MIQ forced isolations. While travelling back to New Zealand might be a simple tick box exercise on the Air New Zealand app back in the day, those days were gone. Even if they could get back into the country, if they could get one of those MIQ balloted spots, they'd miss the funeral and it would be a fruitless exercise. My heart went out to all those guys and girls, and it still does, at the lack of closure they must have felt during all of this. We buried him. We put him in the ground one day, and then we left the cemetery, and he was still there, in the ground. We put him in the ground and said goodbye to him, and that feeling is something that I'll never come to grips with. That we went there as a big family and left one of our own in the ground. The pain that comes with that is immeasurable. It's deep, it's primitive, and it's one of the very few things in my life that managed to break me. He and I shared a big brother-little brother relationship throughout our years. In some respects, the roles reversed, but overall, being the older of us, I probably held that title for longer. It was a tight bond, tighter than I have with any of my real brothers, who I love dearly, and I led to a connection that cut across any situation, irrespective of who else might be around us. Our similarities were far too numerous to mention, but there's always a hurdle that comes with this. You see, when you play the role of bigger sibling, or the mentor, or the more responsible of the two, 
then it also creates a perception. You're meant to be bigger, stronger mentally. You've got your shit sorted or whatever. And sometimes that means that the little sibling can feel inferior. And that sense of inferiority or that perception can stop them from reaching out to you for fear that they'll be looked down on or judged. And who knows? I'm a terrible liar. So maybe there were times when he'd done something that I disagreed with deeply and I wasn't able to mask it. Who knows? I probably just showed it on my face. For a few months after his death, I had a nagging worry. Nothing enough for me to take any drastic actions, but enough for me to be more self-aware. You see, for the overwhelming majority of our shared lives, this man and I were so alike, we were shadows in each other's pockets. But what if we were so alike that I could do something like that to myself? That I could fall into such a deep pit of despair and pain that I could take my own life? It played on my mind. I spoke to those close to me to share that weight, and although I felt better for it, and I do, given the depth of our similarities, I don't know if I'll ever shake that feeling or thought until my final days. I heard something the other day actually about suicide, and my understanding of it rings true. If you go down this road, this road of taking your own life, you are almost guaranteed to underestimate the hole that you will leave in people's lives. And so you might be asking, wait, wasn't there meant to be a silver lining in all this? That's what he said, right? There were silver linings? This is called suicide and silver linings after all. May as well just stop it here and call it suicide and total sadness. One month after we buried him, our group, our wider group with friends who had become family over the years, had organised to go to Napier for a big Easter holiday together at a mutual friend's place. We'd actually organised it several months before, before the seismic event ripped through our community. It took a while, but we collectively agreed to push on, and it was an inspired decision, as that was some of the best time, and it was spent together. Being around each other allowed us to focus our energy on positives in the future, and it turned out to be everything we needed it to be and more. A bond to each other had suddenly and mutually become tighter, and there was this unspoken understanding that we were all in this together, and that we were there for each other. His partner, his ex, whatever, was there, and we all just wanted to wrap her up in our love. Man, this situation must have been brutal on her, eh? She's a tough one, tougher than she even realises, but everyone's got a limit, and sometimes, not knowing why he did it, is enough to have you going in circles. But we were there for her, and I'm glad we were, and I'm glad we still are. The next two silver linings can be a little difficult to accept, or particularly the next one. I don't know what people are feeling when they make a decision to kill themselves. I don't know what logic or absence of logic is taking place. I don't pretend to know how much pain they must feel. But I know that in this instance, with this guy and everything I knew about him, then I know he must have been in pain. 
He would have been in so much pain and seen nothing but pain in everything about himself. And I take some small solace that he's no longer in pain. For me, if you ask me today if I preferred for him to be in pain or not at all, then my heart cries as I tell you that I'd preferred for him to not have any pain at all. And if this is how he decided to strip away all of that, then I respect him for that. And I simply can't find any hate in me for the decision that he's made. Of course I want a different outcome. Of course I still want him alive. Of course I want to hear his laugh again. But if he's no longer in pain, then I'm prepared to accept that as a small but very, very important silver lining. The second one is something with a bit more beauty to it. And it's that reconnection and depth of love our friends all enjoy now. A couple of weekends ago, we had almost our entire crew and the ones from Oz come back to unveil his headstone. Faces that hadn't been seen in years. Friends that were nearly lost to the busyness of family life or work. Friends trapped overseas due to COVID. We all came together and we celebrated being alive. We celebrated his life and we celebrated being together again. Our time together was magical and quite simply, it would not have happened if he was still alive. Crazy, huh? It took a death to make it happen. We all suffer from being time poor, or cash poor, or juggling too many priorities to get together en masse. But those distractions were just swept away. Swept away by the gravity of it all. In its place are relationships with a closeness that was there, but it had an untapped depth to it. The hugs we give each other are the ones that make you feel loved. The conversations we have now are more real, they're more honest, and they're more meaningful. And I personally treasure it all more, knowing without a shadow of doubt that it could be the last time I ever see that person again. His death, with all of the tragedy and pain that surrounds it, comes with those silver linings. Those silver linings fill my bucket, and I'm thankful for it. My final words today differ from the usual, and they're a toast I've enjoyed using when I'm having a few drinks with our friends. It reminds me of how lucky I am to to continue sharing life with all the people that I know and love and the people that I meet every day. It reminds me of the nature of death and it recognises the effort it takes to continue battling through life's ups and downs. And it goes, Cheers to those of us that are still here. Alright, peace out. Thank you.